Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Indiana Mania. So... On Monday, we began our journey in 1936, and now we're heading back to 1935 as Indy goes on an accidental adventure in India with his sidekick short round and a screaming woman. From 1984, it's the film that created the PG-13 rating, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. If adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones. Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Indiana Jones. And the Temple of Doom. We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. We are going to die. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. Chris Tilly. Part two of Indiana Mania, Temple of Doom. Excited, Chris? Yes. You've been looking forward to this moment for a while, haven't you? Yep, ever since Monday. Yeah, I sort of meant the general Indiana Mania thing. I'm really pushing that as a brand name for us. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I have been for a long time. Great stuff, Victoria. Yeah, I'm really excited. Did a great job with Raiders on Monday. Thank you. Mm. You could see I was drinking. You thought you'd just end? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's all right. Why were you drinking then? Because <laughs> there's a lot to get through with Temple of Doom, okay. as always, when it's my movie. Yeah, I go overboard. Not, not, not as much as Raiders, so you'll be, get, you'll be keeping the time down. No, actually, there seems to be more. No, Based on what Vicky did on Monday, I think there's actually more to talk about with Temple of Doom. Uh, very quickly, if you haven't subscribed to us, if you would be kind enough to do so, that would be amazing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could leave us a rating, awesome. And if you could leave us a review, 
double awesome. Why? Because you may hear Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, read it out on the show. It sounds a bit like this. This is from E. Stoves, who says, Brilliant podcast for fans of movies. Alex Zane is a tour de force, despite losing the vote every week. Vicky Crompton artfully takes you through character arcs while inexplicably dropping salty catchphrases. Chris Thriller Minute Tilly provides interesting film trivia with strong, exasperated teacher on Zoom energy. <laughs> Three very funny and insightful hosts. If you're not subscribed to this podcast, you're missing out. <laughs> That's very good. Thank you very much for editing that, by the way. I'll, I'll happily fill in the gap. That's so kind of you. Chris has done a real solid for me there because the actual review says, Alex Zane on his return since 2011 is a tour de force because of fucking Wikipedia! Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did. I, did. I, I was I, protecting you. Uh, transparency is the name of the game here. We're all very honest. It's a very authentic podcast. Yeah, because someone's clearly gone, oh, well, I, I wonder what Alex was doing last. And because as I go on about well, my Wikipedia page is locked i cannot change it and whoever controls my wikipedia <laughs> controls arrakis <laughs> um whoever controls my wikipedia has clearly decided oh, i'm not going to update it but i'm not going to let anyone else update it so it says that basically i i retired in 2011 <laughs> took all your money <laughs> yep. i mean it's not a bad thing it sounds like wow he doesn't he's doing, right. doing this for fun ruji yeah. must have paid a lot of money <laughs> doesn't yeah. work ruji which was still going in 2017 so still wrong uh anyway thank you chris that was a really nice thing you did. Right then, uh, here are a few comments from our dear Clash Potters on Temple of Doom. I'll start us off. Thank you for everyone who messaged us. We are show at clashpod.com or indeed on Twitter at ClashPod and Instagram at ClashPod. Peter Stirrup says, unpopular opinion, but Temple of Doom was always my favourite as a kid and the one me and the family seemed to watch over and over again. I love how from the Bond style opening, it never really stops. It's indie falling, sometimes literally from one adventure to the next. Some of the shots of Harrison Ford in that film are absolutely iconic. Um, I've got something from Tom Forsyth, which says, my overriding memory of watching an Indiana Jones film is the one my mother always shares with anyone new I've met. Good mum. The one where I'm five years old and climbing the back of the sofa out of terror as we are watching a man's heart get ripped out and people getting crushed by rocks and stuff. <laughs> it may be the most scared I've ever been. Uh, Lara Jane Jackson is a big Raiders fan. She says Raiders all the way. Marin is my idol and still smash a glass uh, on the table like her drinking competition. But my best memory uh, was a seven-year-old uh, cinema Temple of Doom watch. Hand going fully into the chest, pulling heart out. Amazing. Then it got cut. Thought I'd imagined it for years. Mm, we'll talk about that. Mm. Foob says... Two, three, one, four. That is the order Foob is going with, which means Temple of Doom is Foob's number one. Foob says, I'll never not love Temple. Has all the best set pieces, short round, bugs and chilled monkey brains. Um, and Chris Little says the order is actually one, three, two, four. But my favourite memory was watching Temple of Doom on BBC One Christmas Day 1987. I was four years old and thinking that this was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. My nan, who was staying with us, then wrote a letter to the BBC <laughs> complaining about the violence. <laughs> Hilarious. That's the one I think I saw. I think that's yeah. my first Indiana Jones experience. Yeah. That would make sense for me yeah. at the time. Yeah. Not for me. Okay. Yeah. Old man Tilly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have, I have an anecdote, but have we got to that bit yet? No, we haven't got to that bit yet. Uh, I'll do the synopsis uh, first. Uh, so on Monday, Vicky raided a lost ark, and today I'm templing all over some doom. Let me take you on a journey. 
After Indy gets on the wrong plane out of Shanghai, he ends up in India with a screaming woman, where he's mistaken for some kind of god by villagers whose magic rock has been stolen. So Indy hotfoots it to Pankot Palace on the trail of fortune and glory, kid fortune and glory. After enjoying a culturally insensitive meal, he then descends into the Temple of Doom, where awaits him a series of iconic movie scenes, including a floor of bugs, a minecart chase, and a screaming woman. Emerging into daylight, Indy is faced with two swordsmen and deploys an iconic gag of reaching for his missing gun, something he won't realise is funny till the following year when he's in Egypt. After making sure every child watching is forever <laughs> scared of rope bridges, Indy returns the villager's stone and finally stops Willy screaming by putting his tongue in her mouth. The end. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for your consideration... Temple of Doom. That's such a good point about the gun. It's in, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because he plays it like... He, he went, oh, I've done that before. Yeah. yeah it's right. just crazy. Yeah, but how, were you aware that it was a prequel at that young age that you no. watched it? No, no. Mate, it was just the new instalment. So. No, absolutely not. But now, with that knowledge, you're like, why is he doing that face like, uh-oh? What am I like? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know yet. He doesn't know. So, histories with this movie. Um, I'll start. As I said on Monday, this was the definitive indie movie from my childhood. It's certainly the one I remember most vividly because I think it has moments that really play to a younger audience, which sounds weird when we talk about the response that it got about being too dark. But for me, I mean, the monkey brains and snake surprise banquet, I remember that distinctly as a kid as being this amazing, gross-out moment. Uh, the minecart chase. I mean... In all honesty, I think it was Peter Stirrup who just said it in that um, tweet. Uh, it's the one with the most iconic moments. Genuinely, if you distill them all down, this has the best, most memorable set pieces. At least that's how I felt growing up. Uh, but my lasting memory is being in the playground at school and every time someone put their hand on your chest going, Kalama, Shakti Day, you were obliged to go, Om Nam Shiva, Om Nam Shiva, Om Nam Shiva. That just happened every day. That chant, that chanting is burned into my brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris? Yeah, I watched it on video a lot. So I would have seen it before that um, Christmas Day screening so i remember just the 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 wall of indiana jones temple of doom in my local video shop and i rented it so often and i i think i've said before i got to know the guy that ran the video shop quite well he got us tickets to a screening of goonies for my family early mm. around that period um he gave me the indiana jones the temple of doom standee that wow. was in the front window yeah i can remember they had three in the window that christmas it was rocky four in your general Temple of Doom and Back to the Future. And because I kept renting Indy, he gave me the Indy one. And I kind of wish he'd given me the Back to the Future one <laughs> in hindsight. But at the time, I was pretty happy with it. And that, yeah, that was in my living room for a good 10 years. Wow. Which is why I was a virgin for quite a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Until the right time. Yes, yeah, exactly. don't worry about it. Still, Everything happens at the right time. Still yeah. waiting. <laughs> but when she arrives... So hopefully this podcast will sort me out. All you need to do, apparently, is just whip her off her feet, quite literally with a whip. That seems to work. <laughs> it would work. What? Mm. Shut up. <laughs> oh. If you're Harrison Ford. Wait, yeah. remember where I am, who I am. Yeah. So, that wouldn't work. I love it, though. <laughs> yeah. Context is everything. Um, my, I'm the same. I remember this is the one I've seen the most. This was the one that was, if you, you asked child me, which is my favourite, it's this one. Um, yeah, for everything you've said, all those iconic moments. And I think looking back on it, I think, the, I mean, it's obvious, but I think the reason we all identified the most with it is that the humour is very childish, mm -hmm. which is, I mean that in a respectful way. And because of short rounds, you're in the film. So it's much easier to identify with all this grown up exactly. stuff going on. Yeah. Exactly. For sure. Yep.
For sure, which again is why I think it got a lot of stick because it is kind of a kids' movie, but also has some truly horrific moments. It's in. a very strange juxtaposition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, would you like to know a little bit about this movie? Mm. Yes, I would. And by a little bit, I mean probably too much. Just no, just a little bit. It's no, fine. Well, it's all right. Bit, it's done now. Spielberg uh, basically uh, he says that when George Lucas first approached him for Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, he asked him to do all three movies, and George Lucas said, "I have." three stories lined up. Uh, Steven Spielberg then says, it turns out George didn't have any more stories, <laughs> so we had to make them up. The ideas for this movie were numerous before they settled on what we have as Temple of Doom. There was a lost world pastiche with a hidden valley inhabited by dinosaurs. There was a Scottish castle that was haunted, which for some reason really interests me. The idea of India in a Scottish castle that was haunted. Steven Spielberg said, I just done Poltergeist. I didn't feel like I wanted to do that again. So we ended up with this demonic temple in India. Uh, it was Lucas who came up with this religious cult devoted to child slavery and black magic and ritual human sacrifice. They approached Lawrence Kasdan once again to write it. <laughs> Lawrence Kasdan says very candidly, I did not want to be associated with Temple of Doom. I thought it was horrible. It's so mean. There's nothing pleasant about it. I think Temple of Doom represents a chaotic period in both theirs, Lucas and Spielberg's, lives, and the movie is very ugly and mean-spirited. So Lucas also talks about this in hindsight, about why this movie is so dark. And he says, I ended up being a lot darker. Part of it was I was going through a divorce at the time. Stephen the same. I wasn't in a good mood. And Stephen wasn't going through a divorce. And this is what the they thing. Th That's just not true. Lucas is the one. Yeah. Lucas I is the one. Spielberg was about to get married, weirdly, not to Kate Capshaw. Mm. He marries Amy Irving a, a year later. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not true. But, yeah, Lucas, yeah. He says, he says I wasn't in a good mood. Wait, make a cheery film. He marries Amy Irving a year later. He does in 1985. He doesn't marry Kate Capshaw until 1991. Oh. Yeah, interesting. My timeline is off on that. That is interesting. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Spielberg, basically, this has sort of entered the ether, like both him and George were in a terrible place. And Spielberg says, and I quote, I was not going through a divorce. I had just come off a huge success with E.T. I was in a good mood. Mm. So no Kasdan. In his place, uh, we get the husband and wife team of William Hike and Gloria Katz, who'd worked with Lucas on American Graffiti and would work with him again soon on The Incredible. Howard the Duck! We are going to do! We have to do it. We have to do it. So, uh, you know, Stephen... I'm going to briefly tell this story because it's quite funny. They'd known Stephen from a while ago when he gave them a book about Thomas Crapper, who invented the flushing toilet and said, write a treatment about this. I'll give it to my agent. We will get this made. And so they did. They gave it to Stephen, bumped into him a few weeks later, and they went, what's going on with there? that treatment that was definitely going to get made? And he said, I showed my agent. And he said, if that's the kind of film I want to make, he doesn't want to represent me. <laughs> Uh, they also had a meeting with Stephen uh, about another movie, which was when he approached them and said, what would happen if a spaceship landed on La Cienega? And it turned out that they said, we didn't really love that idea very much. And that's when he went on to make Close Encounters. Oh, wow. Yeah. But they did know a lot about India, which is why they got the job, they think. They were collectors of Indian art. So... They do say, they told George, we know a lot of Indians, we've been there. I don't think they're going to think this movie is really cool. I think you might have trouble shooting there. 
And George was like, are you kidding? It's me and Steve. Mm. <laughs> uh, months later, uh, they called and said, yeah, we can't shoot in India. They're really upset. We've got to go to Sri Lanka instead. We'll talk more about that as we go through. But the Indian government did find the script very offensive. So... My favourite thing about showing Harrison Ford the scripts is they were a bit nervous uh, whether he would like it or not. Uh, he read it and he loved it, although he did have a problem with a lot of short rounds lines. Uh, he was going through it and I quote, they say, he said, this line bothers me. The kid's supposed to be 10. I don't know if he'd say something like that. And we said, yeah, but he's a really cocky kid. And Harrison Ford wasn't having any of it. He was like, I don't know. It feels more like an indie line. Okay. And he basically went through the stole entire script and stole all short rounds, best lines Ooh, for himself. That's not cool, is it? I don't know. I mean, Steven Spielberg says he was poaching all the 10 year old lines from the script. So in terms of the casting, uh, Kate Capshaw says that George and Steven had been looking for the girl. And by the way, and as I go through this, Kate Capshaw is a soundbite machine. She is very candid about this movie. Mm. Uh, she says, uh, Stephen was looking for the girl. And by the way, even while we were making the movie, they always referred to her as the girl. <laughs> uh, Harrison uh, Ford was shown uh, just one tape at Stephen's insistence. He was like, I've got 19 girls on tape. I'm going to show you one. It's Kate. And Harrison Ford went, yep, she's the one. So that's how Kate Capshaw gets uh, the role. Uh, she says about the experience, I think we were constantly stretching and reaching to be as brilliant as the first one. And we just didn't have the story. We had children at risk. Where's the fun in that? There were also a hundred more screams than we need. So I feel justified in my Screaming Woman opening because she talks about having to scream more than she'd anticipated in this film. And then we get onto short round. He turned up to the audition with his brother and they were like, we like you, not your brother. That's the way to break up a family. <laughs> but uh, he gets the role. Yeah, it's adorable watching them do the screen test because he couldn't really speak much English, mm. uh, the actor. And so, yeah, they asked him to improvise a scene with Harrison Ford where he was accusing Indiana Jones of cheating at cards. Yeah. And brilliant. you can watch it and it's just how it ended up in the movie. It's like so he's, he's just so natural. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason that they made it a prequel finally is because they didn't want any Nazis again. They'd done Nazis, so that's why we had the thuggy cult. Yeah, they would lose Nazis and Marion. They wanted a different woman, and so they would find it harder. Because they wanted to turn it into Bond. Uh, Spielberg was like, it's a different girl for every film. So that's why Marion was out, despite a lot of people uh, being disappointed in that with the finished film. And the writers got a lot of stick, and they were like, look, we were told. Mm. that we had to bring a new girl in. So that's what we did. Harrison Ford doesn't seem like he was that happy about it being a prequel. Because as he said, um, it, it, I'm three years older and Indiana Jones is supposed to be two years younger. So there's this five years differential. Mm -hmm. that if you look at me, it ain't the same. Yeah. Right then. Uh, any more on the backstory to this movie? Or do you want to go through it? No, let's go for no, it. Well, right, right. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, the, the names. We're back with the names. Willie was named after um, Spielberg's dog. And Short Round was named after the writer's dog. Right. So they continued the naming of characters after dogs. You're not allowed to work on Indiana Jones if you don't have a dog. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. But it made me think, why would you call a dog Short Round? Is that because it's, it's short? It's named after a character in a movie. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> What movie? What movie? <laughs> Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. Oh, it makes sense. No, it's another previous movie. I can't. I cannot remember what it's called. I can go through my notes, but please it's really, don't. I'm not going to. I said I could go through my notes. Please don't. I'm not going to. So, 
We are once again having the Paramount logo turn into something special, this time a mountain on a giant gong. It's sick. I love it. We are in Shanghai in 1935, a year earlier than the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark in Club Obi-Wan. Yeah. yeah it's nice. Mm. No? It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. All right. So uh, George basically said to Stephen, let's do a big musical number. You've always wanted to direct a musical number. I absolutely adore the opening of this film and I adore the musical number. I really like Anything Goes as a song anyway, but the fact Kate Capshaw sings it in Mandarin, this is the version that I have on my iTunes. Okay. I listen to this a lot. I think the actual musical number goes on too long. Yeah. I'm really pleased that Steven Spielberg wanted to make a musical and got to do his musical scene, but as an Indiana Jones fan, I didn't sign up for that much I've, dancing. This is the first time I've thought about it. That Say you're in the timeline and you go and see Raiders in 81 and you love it and you're like, oh my God, there's a sequel. And then it opens with a full dance number. Mm. Would you have been a bit surprised? Um, I remember thinking this was great as a kid. I was like, wow, this is weird. And then I loved tap dancing as a kid. I've you told did, you this yeah, before. Yeah. I wanted to be a tap dancer. I thought so of you when I was watching it. It's a great bit of tap. And I love the reverse splits as well when they go back up. <laughs> the <laughs> reversing of the film. You like tap dancing like Kathleen Kennedy, who's in the sequence as one of the dancers. Is she? Yeah. Is she really? She really is, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I bet they didn't call her the girl. <laughs> Excuse <laughs> <No>. me. <laughs> <No>. Boss. <laughs> uh, so... This whole sequence around the table, weirdly, uh, with uh, Lao Shea uh, and the table and the diamond and the antidote and the poison, I think I was most impressed as a kid because I'd never seen a table that had a spinning wheel on it. And that blew my mind, the fact that you could put something down on one side of the table and spin it and it yeah. goes around to the other person. This really impressed me because I'd never seen it before. Um I remember being very upset at David Yip, Indy's associate, mm. getting shot. That really upset me yeah. as a yeah. kid because he seems like in about three seconds, he seems like the most likable character yeah. in the movie. And, and he's we, set up to be the sidekick. Yeah, we learned that he's, he's been gone. on all those adventures with yeah. him. I want to see one. Yeah. And what a line. I go first, Indy. Yeah. It's like, oh. But as Vicky said in the last episode, this is Indiana Jones dressed as Bond. Yeah, yep. full Bond. Going full Bond. He does look very uh, debonair and glamorous. Although and James Bond wouldn't drink that drink because he wouldn't, because it's obviously got something wrong with it, because it's just appeared out of nowhere. And he's <laughs> like, I'll be having that. James Bond wouldn't do that. Yes, I mean, I feel like he does a couple of things in this scene that don't feel like it's the same Indiana Jones we <laughs> saw before. He punches a drinks girl. Did you see that? He punches <laughs> a woman, but he takes Willie hostage as well. Yeah. And she's not done anything wrong. So it does feel like, oh, a slightly different indie. Yeah. But this is supposed to be a different indie. What the writers say is that they get a lot of stick for Willie being a very different kind of girl, but no one seems to notice that this is meant to be a different period in Indy's life and he's a very different Indy yeah. in the sense that he hasn't yet got the experience. And by the end, when he saves the kids, that turns him into the Indy mm. that we see in Raiders oh, of the Lost Ark. Okay. Fair enough, yeah, because he's not he's very much not selling to a museum here. He's selling to a gangster. Yeah. Well, that's why he says in the middle of it, fortune and glory, kid, fortune mm. and glory, because that is all he's interested at this point mm. in his life. Sounds a bit like Han Solo. <laughs> I'm really worried about him being like a Professor Solo character um, The guy gets a skewer in his chest So we immediately know This is a grown-up movie for kids Because that's a hell of a way to go Fried food on a skewer in your chest I just, I love the whole thing I love the crawling around the floor The ice falling over yeah. The diamond going missing in it It's just a whole lot of fun Yeah, and they talked about it wanting to be they start the film with the end of the last adventure, and that's very much what they've done here. Yes. 
How do you mean? You're like, watching the end of some other story. This, oh, this doesn't right, really connect with yeah, what, yeah. what's in this story. So it's like Same you're watching with Raiders. Like yeah. you're picking up the serial. Yeah, element. you're watching the climax of a different movie, which I guess Bond does as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then we get the car chase through the streets of Shanghai. Uh, we first get to know a little more about Willie when uh, Indy passes her his gun and she drops it out the window and goes, "I burnt my fingers and I cracked a nail." That's Willie. This is Willie who we're dealing with uh, right now. Um, I don't know why Lao Shea is chasing Indy at this point. I can't work it out. Um, he's got what he wanted. Yeah. The ancestral thing. Uh, he, I mean, he doesn't know that. I mean, that Indy has the diamond. The diamond went missing in the club. So it's unclear to me why Lao Shea is insisting on finishing off Indy at this point. Well, does he want to kill him because he knows that Indy is going to kill him back because he's tried to kill him? If you see what I mean. I do. Maybe, yeah. Uh, Indy somehow ends up on Lao Shea's plane, which even Lao Shea seems surprised about. I really wish it, when Indy turns around and goes, you know, uh, not this time, Lao Shea. Nice try, Lao Shea. Nice try, Lao Shea. I wish he showed him the diamond. To mm. me, that would be a victory at the end of this scene and would explain the chase as mm. opposed to, you know, the way it ends up. But uh, nevertheless, we have the pilots bailing out of the plane and... We have a very short reprieve oh, where India is because he doesn't wake up then. So you were talking about he's got like this sixth sense that he can sense trouble. Prequel though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. He hasn't developed he hasn't it yet. I don't think he does have a sixth sense. <laughs> um, short round says, "Call him Doctor Jones," and then she says, "Doctor Jones, wake up, please." It's the Aqua yes, song. It is. It's from this scene. Yeah. Oh, is it? Which I mean, I actually have the single of that. Do, I do like that Aqua song. Do you? Um, but yeah, I didn't realise it was directly <laughs> quoting from a specific scene. Can you sing? No, go on. No, don't. Jones, Why do you like that Jones song? calling Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones. It was less annoying than Barbie Girl. Wake up now. Wake up now. Is it because you look a little bit like Ken from the <laughs> band Aqua? <laughs> I don't think I do. A little bit. Uh, a little bit. Um, so uh, let's just get this out of the way because we're going to hear Willie screaming a lot. Now, Kate Capshaw says, I didn't read the parts where Willie has to scream. I didn't know how to scream. So Stephen taught me how to scream. Screaming. I bet he did. Is not- <laughs> oh, oh, Naughty. Oh. Wow. Not Sorry. until 1991. <laughs> oh. Nothing happened before then. What? What? Um, she. Uh, so I did a little digging around this and apparently... Stephen sort of started to see how dark this movie was getting. And so he really encouraged the screaming. Like the screaming wasn't in the original script. And actually it moved her character away from what it was on the page because he wanted to try and offset the darkness that he realised they were shooting by having her screaming a lot. And so that's why she turned into that character. And I couldn't for the life of me find... The quote, but I remember years ago reading an article where Steven Spielberg does acknowledge he says, This isn't the way I would have a female character in a movie anymore. This was a mistake. But Child Me thought it was brilliant. Oh, yeah. Like, she does do that job. She does undercut all the darkness and Mm. make it palatable for kids. She's very upset about it. She said she was a feminist. She was a single mum doing a job, getting on with her life, and she felt. She felt like she was a feminist and she was attacked from all quarters. She said, I don't think there was a good review. I was blindsided by it. The thing that surprised me the most was that the critics, women critics in particular, were very critical of Willie Scott as if we were making a political statement as I was, and I was doing nothing for my sisters. Mm. Um, and her argument is that is that Willie does fall back on her own resources as the film goes on and she becomes a strong, gutsy lady. Which there's, There is an element of that as the film goes on, but... Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's unfortunate that it's compared to Marion as well. Yeah, who's, who's, who's like super capable, 
And, and we'd come through this period as well of, 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 I think we did have the, although the women weren't the leads of these films, between Lois Lane, Princess Leia and Marion, you had these really tough, resourceful women who could stick up for themselves and they didn't need these men to protect them. And so it's a shame that it feels like we've gone backwards with this, with this movie, which they have literally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this first 20 minutes is a proper roller coaster. We've gone from poison bar fight car chase to a plane crash to a sledging dinghy, whitewater <laughs> rafting. It's nuts and it's utterly brilliant. This whole <laughs> opening 20 minutes is unbelievable. Do you remember being utterly blown away by the fact that they parachute out of a plane using a dinghy? I was like, why has no one thought of that before? Because it obviously works. Obviously works. Yeah. Well, um, I actually found out whether it would work it, or it, not. It, it would, can't. Uh, because obviously someone has gone, let's find out if this stunt would really work and you'd survive. You would have, based on the height the plane was, uh, the speed that they were travelling at when they hit the ground, the fact that there's snow on the ground and it's a slope so you get some forward momentum, they would have a 15% chance of survival. It's okay. So it would actually work. If you balanced your weight successfully in that dinghy and positioned yourself so it didn't flip over, you could potentially survive that. And like lots of the stuff in this film, that is from the original Raiders story conference. That was an idea that they had in 1978, couldn't use in the first film. And it's amazing how much they continue to be used in these films from that three day conversation yeah if you want to know where it would be in the Raiders film this was when he's flying into Nepal the Nazis sabotage the plane and right. he actually uses dinghy to land on a mountainside and slides right up to Marion's bar and gets out <laughs> of the dinghy so that's where it would have been in Raiders so Indy arrives in a village someone has stolen their Sankara stone uh, these are the MacGuffin for the movie, uh, they had the Arkin Raiders, and now we have the five Sankara stones. One has been stolen from this village, and two stones are found beneath Pankop Palace. Uh, there's a loose connection to the Hindu religion here. They have stones called the Sivanlinga, the symbol of the Hindu god Shiva. Lucas says of the Sankara stones that he feels they were too esoteric now. I quite like the stones, but I do think we have gone down a level in jeopardy mm -hmm. in this film. It feels like a much smaller, self-contained adventure. Yeah. The writers said that the Nazis getting their hands on the thing, uh, the Ark in Raiders was about world domination. The world's fate was at stake. And so they talked a lot about how to try and beef up the Sankara stones and mm -hmm. turn it into a much more global threat which is why later on you find Molaram going with these stones, all the other religions will fall. Mm -hmm. It never worked for me. Mm. And it doesn't get around the fact that we do go underground and then don't come up till the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. So we're not having that globetrotting adventure that the first one was and that Bond is and that kind of you expect to see these glamorous locations. Which, uh, to quote Steven Spielberg, he feels the movie is too subterranean. In hindsight, he feels we do spend too much time underground. I actually like that. We'll get on to that. So Indy is welcomed into the village uh, in, as a proper white saviour. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and no mistake, they they touch, try and touch him. Yeah. They bring him offerings, mm. food that they haven't eaten for a week themselves. They put on a plate to give to him. It's insane. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, Marion, not Marion, living in the past or the future. Willie uh, is massively rude uh, about <laughs> their food and embarrasses indie so as well as being scared and screamy she can also be culturally insensitive yep but it is it is problematic and obviously the banquet is more problematic because 
if it was food, like it's it, the food doesn't look good, no. as in it looks like shit. It looks like whatever. So you, you're the audience. You are with Willie because you're like, oh, yuck, and that's the problem. You're not with Indiana Jones being this is rude. You're like, yeah, I wouldn't eat it either, etc. And so that's the problem. Mm. You're meant to be laughing at these people. Yeah. Well, that, that's not what um, Roshan Seth says. Who about? Are we talking about the banquet? Yeah. We're not there yet. We're not there yet because on page twenty-five, sorry, uh, Vicky was talking about the banquet. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, well, yeah, she was talking about the banquet, but we're getting to the banquet in a minute. We got uh, giant vampire bats first. Cool. Um, uh, Indy gets his mission. Uh, perfect timing. Go to Pankot Palace. Get the stone. They actually say, "Go to Pankot Palace. Get the stone. Bring it back here." It's as simple as that. It's yeah. like that is your mission for this movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's, you know, no smoke and mirrors. Say it directly. That is it. Uh, although they do add a, a little soup sonners. Uh, oh, and um, all the kids have been stolen <laughs> as well. Open with that. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand that religion is a big deal, but fucking yeah. hell, your kids have been yeah. stolen. It's very quiet around here. It's, oh, God, shit. Yeah, the kids have gone, actually. But, but they make a point of sort of going, you know, get the stone. If you got time, grab the kids as well. I mean, <laughs> how do I make this clear? Stone first, then kids. If on your way out and you've got the stone, you pass the kids and it's not out of your way, <laughs> grab them, yeah. but absolutely get the stone. That yeah. is the priority here. We can do without the kids. So we're off to Pankot Palace. I thought the elephants were the best thing in the world as a kid. I don't think I'd ever seen an elephant in a movie before. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's, it's all hilarious. It's it's so much fun. Um, uh, Willie now brings out the big guns. She needs to call her agent. <laughs> and giant vampire bats. This movie is responsible for me thinking giant vampire bats existed. Yeah, they, vampire bats exist, but they're tiny. They're tiny the size of your hand. Quite yeah. cute, yeah. They're really, really sweet, yeah. Um, giant vampire bats uh, went extinct 300 years ago and only <laughs> lived in South America. This is what I spent my time doing on the internet. Uh, Willie screams at a bat, a monkey, a lizard, an owl, another lizard in one incredible montage. <laughs> and then we do get to Pankot Palace and... Um, we meet uh, Chatalal, who you just mentioned, played by Roshan Seth, the Prime Minister to the Ra Maharaja, and Captain Bloomberg of the British Army, played by Philip Stone, a.k.a. Delbert Grady from The Shining, which is amazing. Also in Flash Gordon. Who is he in Flash Gordon? He's the high priest at the end. Oh, yeah! Oh, my God. I can't, mm. I can't believe I didn't recognise him in that. Um, so, we get a little bit of exposition now from Captain Bloombert about the bad guys in the movie, the thuggy cultists, or as he describes them, the thuggy cult was an obscenity that worshipped Carly with human sacrifice. They are a real thing. Okay. Do you know anything about the thuggies? No. It's really quite interesting. You'll bloody love this. So they were around in the 19th century in India. Uh, historically, in terms of where they came from, uh, they it suggested they were formed because the Indian armies uh, were disbanded due to British rule. And mm -hmm. so they formed these groups of thugs to survive and robbed people. But contemporary scholarship is increasingly sceptical of the thuggy concept at all and has questioned the existence of such a phenomenon, which has led historians to describe the thuggy as an invention of the British colonial regime. Mm. That would make sense. It would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Create a, a, an invisible enemy. A pretend enemy. So yeah. when you said they did exist, do you mean they didn't exist? It's it's up for debate. Mm. It's up for debate. Uh, join me on my new podcast. <laughs> British colonial rule. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing our track record, I'm feeling like maybe uh, they did not exist. So yeah, the banquet scene. 
Hilarious as a kid. Yeah, really, really, really funny. Absolutely brilliant. Snake Surprise, Live Eels coming out. Yeah. Genuinely, though, it is certainly responsible for misinforming kids of what might have gone on. Maybe not in the contemporary world. Maybe I didn't think, oh, in India they're eating that right now. But I certainly think this would have been on the menu at some point in India, which genuinely is the power of film. Yeah. And you do have a responsibility because I think as a kid, I was like, shit, they fucking yeah. they eat live eels out there. Yeah, it's bad. It's othering and for a laugh. And it, it, when you're a kid, it totally connects because everyone in the playground was obsessed with it, like especially like the chilled monkey bricks, mm. like to serve it in the monkey's head and all the rest of it. Mm. And it's and Willie faints and falls off her chair, and it's like this big comedy, physical comedy moment. And it is irresponsible because you do you're only little, and you think, well, fuck, like yeah, they must definitely have eaten that shit. Yeah, it really is. Um, and the the bit that you're talking about, it, it, I think it's this quote from yeah. Roshan Seth where he. This sounds like this sounds like hindsight. I don't know when this quote is from, but it's it's. I think it's much later than the movie. He says the banquet scene was a joke that went wrong. I got a great deal of flack for it because people kept saying, "How does an intelligent man like you agree to be in a film which shows Indians dining on beetles and eels?" He then says Stephen intended it as a joke. The joke being that Indians were so fucking smart that they knew all Westerners think that Indians eat cockroaches, so they serve them what they expected. The joke was too subtle for the film. I call bollocks on that. That sounds like a, that sounds like something that, in hindsight, you'd you'd say because there are more Indians sitting around that table yeah. than there are Westerners. Yes. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it because they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't be tucking into the food. No. But we get beetle hors d'oeuvres, snake surprise, eyeball soup, and for dessert, chilled monkey brains. Again, as a kid, just amazing. A lot of custard, apparently. A lot of custard. Some raspberry jelly. That's what was going on in these scenes. Oh, lovely. Mm. Um, I, don't, I didn't like the Maharaja having such a high-pitched voice. Okay. Wasn't it Dave Berry when he was on our show who said that's not his actual voice, though? He was dubbed. It's the woman who voiced Ralph in The Muppet Babies doing his voice. <laughs> Muppet Babies, yeah. we do the things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we meet the Maharaja, as you said, a uh, little kid who, who um, as a little kid watching this, I learned to hate mm. a lot. I hated yeah, that right. Maharaja. I forgot about that. Yeah. I, he was like poison to me. Uh, you did forgive him by the end. You're like, oh, thank God. But like, uh, it's because these things were happening at our level. Because we had Short Round, who was our hero, mm-hmm. and we had we had a kid villain as well. And it, it was cool that they got to fight each other. Even by the yeah. end of the or, or <laughs> Short Round kicks the crap out of him. But it's um, yeah, it, it that you know that is why it's this weird it's this weird combination of of adult and kid in this film. Yeah. Um, well, we'll continue uh, with our weird combination uh, right after this break. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. 
Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Uh, so, comedy scene, a little bit of light relief. Will Willie and Indy get it on? Uh, no, uh, they won't. Uh, but I remember enjoying this as a child. It was like, you know, the five minutes thing, the repetition. Yeah, I had no idea what they were talking about, obviously, <laughs> yeah. which is fine. But I think she does such a good job. Like when when they're going to kiss each other and she lifts her head up, she's, she's, she's so good at like, I will let you take the piss out of me, which mm. I think is, and because you're laughing at her again, really mercilessly. Like, what does she say? She's like, oh, I could be the best you've ever had. And he just walks off or whatever. And you, yeah, she looks like an idiot in that moment. But then she pulls it back because she, because she doesn't crumble with humiliation. She just, you know, meets him where he is. He's like, you'll be back in five minutes. Mm -hmm. She's really good. And I think he would have been back in five minutes. Well, he is at the end, isn't he? He's trying to get to her. Like he goes, you know, he's the one who crumbles first, but then he ends up in the fight with the guy. Also, if she'd have gone into his room, there's a kid in the room. Like what's the, the short round is sleeping in his room. Short round's very mature. What? He asked Indy for full details, didn't he? Yeah, that's weird actually. I forgot about that. And photos. What? I mean, (laughs) I've said it before on this podcast, but what was it in the mid 80s with middle-aged men and children hanging out together. Yeah. You've got Indian short round, you've got Mr. Miyagi and Daniel LaRusso, you've got Doc Brown and Martin McFly. Why were they all best mates? <laughs> it's fine. I get the kid got this mental father figure, but why did they, why do all these middle-aged men want to hang out with these children? Yeah, and you're right. When he says full details, it should be like, okay, listen, we're going to talk about why that's not appropriate. No um, time no time for love, Dr. Jones. <laughs> uh, and then, then we enter the Temple of Doom. Indy pushes a female statue using the breasts. Uh, Willie feels uncomfortable about doing the same moments later in a very strange moment. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, I, I understand why she would get the flack and I think it's unfair. But in terms of from a feminist perspective, she's not going to have a problem touching some stone boobs. Mm. <laughs> to make her squeamish about that is really unfair. I think so too. Bugs. <laughs> This is the moment that, for me, outdoes the snakes in the Well of Souls. I Yeah. But also, uh, is there not an element of we did bugs in the last film? We did them quite well at the beginning and then later on in the film uh, with the snakes. And it just feels like a bit of a retread, which I think a few moments in this film feel like that to me. I do not think these are different bugs because we got the tarantulas at the start of... Raiders, but these these are like these are bugs that I'd never seen before, and mm. they're real bugs. I, I you know they're big bugs. Like Kate, Kate Capshaw says about um, the bugs were much higher. No, sorry, that's Frank. The worst part was having large bugs placed strategically on me, where you can literally feel all their legs grip you. Oh, well, she she took a relaxant to sedate herself. Mm. Yeah, you'd have to. I'd have to be unconscious. Pop There's a few valves. No, yeah. Double drop a couple of them, yep. get in there. Just when she turns her hand, I know we said this in the pub, like it's so silly that I would fixate on that, but I'm not brilliant with bugs. Like I, I think I could handle a, like a, loads of cockroaches, but those big things like walking around, like when she turns her hand on, she says, oh, I broke a nail. Mm. And there's like, what is that? Like a mantis or something that's like the size of her hand. I know the one where you see a centipede go under her head. That's a dummy you wearing can tell. a wig. Yeah, you can tell. yeah, but also that is a giant centipede whose bite has been known to kill people. So that is a dangerous, massive insect. Yeah. Do you not believe me? I do. I'm I just making oh feel God. sick. Last night, 
guy. So I was talking to someone from work and he said he went to a cave somewhere. And it's called like the Cave of Doom. And it's full of like guano and bugs and cockroaches that live on the guano and all the rest of it. And he was on this tour. And then um, the tour guy was like, oh, sorry, forgot to mention. Obviously, watch out for the cockroaches. Don't slip on the poo, all the rest of it. But forgot to say, there are jumping centipedes in here also. Oh and um, they're venomous. And it, they will make you really ill or die if they bite you. So just if you do feel something land on you, brush it away because they jump off the ceiling. I- I hate to say it, but I feel like the power of this scene has been lessened since I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here right. started because worse yeah. stuff happens to them and that's like a I game show on the telly. I believe there are people in the world who will do it. Like when she won't put her hand in the thing, obviously you don't but you don't want to put your hand in there. You've got to save your man and all the rest of it. But she's like, oh, and it's like, that's so understandable. Then you watch I'm a Celebrity and they're like, fuck it, I'll do it. And it's like, pa- that's mad apart from me. Was it Paul Burrell? He didn't like doing it. <laughs> <laughs> didn't Gillian McKeith pass out rather than do it? <laughs> We should be doing a podcast about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a kid though, this was immense. Just mm. it was the floor. It was them walking on it. It was like the being. And no she hasn't escape. got. I don't think she's got shoes that on. Fucked me up. Yeah. Well. But I also felt like the ceiling coming down on them with the spikes and his performance was reminding me quite a bit of Han Solo in the trash compactor yeah. in Star mm. Wars. Felt like kind oh, of I've seen this scene before. I've seen him doing, and he's very good at it. Yep. I mean, there's no one better in peril than Harrison Ford. <laughs> yeah. But- uh, that is Steven Spielberg's favourite scene in the whole movie, The Room of Spikes, mm. which I think is kind of interesting. But uh, he loves it, and I love it because it is the best face acting in the history of cinema. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. We are going to die. It is astonishing. So why, if, if you're going to set up traps in your house, yes. why, why do you make them slow moving? Yeah, it's very <laughs> slow moving. <laughs> so let's get to the thuggy ceremony, uh, as seen in Young Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Um, I'm going to be completely honest with you now. This blew my mind watching this at the weekend because I have never, ever seen this version. I have never never seen the heart. I've never, I've seen the heart, but I've never seen the fingers go through the chest and remove the heart. I've only ever seen Mm. the edited version where he puts his hand on the chest and then it cuts to him holding the heart. I've never seen them pass through because that was cut. That was the one thing that they cut from the original. I don't think I'd seen this, this. The the chest kind of heals up itself. Yeah, I don't think I'd seen that shot before. Mm. But I think that, I think there must be a few different versions of this floating around. That I, this I was watching the Amazon Prime one. Yeah, that's what I was watching. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, as I said, yeah, I agree. I, there was stuff I hadn't. That seen had before. a lot more in it than I've ever seen before. Okay, show me everything. <laughs> so that was great. Um, but yeah, this was this was the thing that got them into a lot of trouble. Kathleen Kennedy says the yanking out of the heart was the one thing that put us over the edge. This was the same year that we made Gremlins and put the Mogwai in the microwave. It's yeah, less moment. less messed up than this, though. It really is. It's it's a lot. Mm. I don't think it all needs to be there. I think for the man that's in the cage, it works because he's, he goes from being, to my adult reading, from being scared and not quite into it to understanding that he's about to have a very, like, a supernatural religious experience because his heart has been removed and he's still with us. Yep. So he knows that when he gets lowered into that fire pit, he's going to go wherever he was promised. And that's the look on his face. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the concept is enough. I, I'm saying I just didn't think it needed to be as graphic as it is. Okay. I like it. I think I think you can see his hand going towards the chest, and then I think you can see him holding the friggin' Which heart. Is the version I'd see, yeah, yeah, and that's that that works for me, and it probably might have been better for me at seven. Yeah, <laughs> it certainly worked for me because that's the version I saw as a kid, and I still was like, that is possibly the most memorable scene, and it's just an incredible thing. I'd never seen the, the, the whole idea. Still amazes me the idea that he can remove the heart. Well, actually, yeah. 
it's better that you don't see his fingers going because it, it implies some kind of a supernatural power. The mm-hmm. fact that he's just pulled it out, yeah, and it's transported mm-hmm. out of the man. I really like that scene, and um, I do like Molaram. What are your thoughts on Molaram? Amish Puri, uh, an Indian actor who um, uh, Roshan Seth uh, describes as a very nice guy. <laughs> he was operatic. He couldn't have been a better villain. But I have to say this, Indian people are very embarrassed when they see one of their own playing roles like that. Okay. I think he has a lot of presence and a lot of gravitas and he did scare me when I was younger. Is But I think it's a shame. Is he the person on the bridge at the end that Indiana Jones makes him punch himself in the face? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that that undercuts all of like the big presence because obviously as a kid you're like, ha, ah, why are you punching yourself? Why are you punching yourself? <laughs> I feel like he's almost an afterthought as a villain though, in the way that with Raiders the two villains were so much a part of the story. Mm. Um, we don't really get a sense of who this guy is beyond he's just pure evil. Yeah. But I, I I think I don't think they spent a lot of time on him. Well, you're in agreement with Kate Capshaw who said in 2008, I think there's nothing like a Nazi for a bad guy. We didn't have a great bad guy. Very candid again. Um, I I personally, Molaram is a better villain for me than anyone in Raiders. Uh, I genuinely, I, I, I think Tot, the leather clad Nazi in Raiders is good but he sort of well, he's a good henchman I, f- I think Belloc's your villain and I think Tot's your, is, a, is a cracking henchman because he's he's clever he's capable and he likes pain right. and that's that's giving you a lot of character traits whereas I don't think we give him much with Mola Rapp mm. well, we're not but he for me he's better than um, Belloc because Belloc I have some sympathy with he seems like a guy who's got caught up in something because of his passion for archaeology and that's led him down this terrible path uh, of trying to open an ark and being in league with the Nazis but he does it he's not a villain whereas Molaram's entire motivation is bad he wants to destroy the world with his followers of Carly so he's he's a villain in the purer sense mm. and I do think he's got some character traits I think the bit that strikes me that I didn't realise before is when things go bad for him when he's losing the fight and he's got that secret hatch that he just rolls through oh yeah which I think really plays into this idea of him being a bit of a coward and when things are going against him he's going to run out of there mm. because later on on the bridge he's quite happy to sort of throw his henchmen, mm. his followers to their death in an attempt to kill Indy. Mm-hmm. So I think this, I think if you look for it, there's a bit more depth to Molaram than you'd think. But um, yeah, I really liked him as a villain. But again, a lot of this is nostalgia. I will say I love the geography of this movie. Steven Spielberg talks about it being too subterranean. For me, the fact that it starts nice in the palace yeah. and you go down a level to the secret passage and down a level yeah. to the temple and down another level to the mines, this sort of like, like almost like a video game going yeah. further and further. Oh, it's great. I love that we don't come up for air. It's really good. I didn't miss it. I did. I love the globetrotting element, but I didn't. I don't miss it in this film so much. And mm. like when the kids are freed, they're like dishevelled, dirty. They're covered in soot and whatever, and they run across the banquet table and like they're these dirty little kids in this beautifully clean palace. <laughs> it's brilliant. It just become. I feel like it does become a little bit oppressive watching it now in these scenes: the drinking of the blood, the falling into the black sleep, this waking nightmare, it, and and sort of the tortures happening in these sequences as well. It's just a. It's a lot, and it goes on for a long time. I mean, what is supposed to be fun? A family film. Yeah. Um, so we learn about the blood of Carly and the black sleep of Carly Ma, and then we see it in action in literally the next scene. 
which is indie going bad. And that's when I like that's the first time I realized if you want someone to swallow something, you have to pinch their nose. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like I was just blown away by that when I was little. I was like, spit it out, spit it out. But no, you can't because someone's holding your nose. I mean, the bit that got me and the bit that got a lot of complaints from people was the fact that he hit short round yeah. in this sequence. A lot of people, and we'll get to one of the reviews that I picked up, um, which is, you know, this was considered a bad thing. I think they're wrong. I think as a kid, it's amazing that he hits short round because <laughs> yeah. you know how far he's gone. It's you a have good, to show it's, it. It's yeah. a movie moment. If you're gonna if you're gonna turn your hero uh, villainous, then you've got to go for it. Mm. Otherwise, it it won't it won't have the desired effect. Superman did the same thing, and and they got it they got it right with the original ones. You know. Yeah, and also the bit where he makes up and apologizes to Sean mm. and they hug is a tearjerker of a yeah. moment and because a he's hit him. Yeah, it's a proper apology. It's not like oh well, that wasn't me. So he just says, "Oh, you know, I'm properly sorry." rather than like half-assed apologies to Marion and to Willie. There are no real apologies. Yeah. Willie would have died or caught fire. It goes too close to the lava. Yeah. Her whole skin would have melted off. Yeah. She's yeah. just a little bit red she's when she comes sweaty. up. She looks like she's been running. Um, <laughs> and then we get to uh, the fight that you mentioned on Monday where he fights Pat Roach again, yep. who is now an Indian um, guard, the chief guard, the chief Indian guard. Blood on the roller, great. Short round fighting the Maharaja simultaneously. Lovely. Yeah, that's so good. Because again, you're in it. Mm. Like, and when when short round gets like a little mini whip in as well. So I mean, it's brutal. And, and but... it's funny when short round's fighting for his life and Rind- India shouts over, quit fooling around with that kid. So good. <laughs> yeah. So good. I'm not. I'm not. Mm. <laughs> and then we get to question the most iconic sequence in Indiana Jones history, the minecart chase. I'd say I'd say the boulder is the most iconic, but okay. I'd go minecart. I just second. think this minecart chase is amazing because uh, that's why I don't like the Raiders cliff edge chase as much because I saw this first, mm. and that to me is thrilling from start to end. There's so much going on, and this is such a silly little script thing. But when Indiana Jones says to Shorty, "You drive," and it's like we already know he can drive because we saw him drive before, and it's like that's just a little touch. But you think, "Oh, that's fine." He's not going to be like, "Whoa, I can't do it." So there's other stuff going to happen. Sp- so- Spielberg said critics kept. Um, saying that our films weren't movies, they were roller coasters. So we gave I mean, them one. to be honest... So we gave them one. The, the reason I like it as much as I do is because I do love a mineshaft ride at a theme park. Have you been to Disneyland in California where no. you can go on the Indiana Jones minecart ride? No, I would like to it's very much. It's not as good as this. It's still quite good. <laughs> and of course, this was supposed to be in Raiders. Yeah, this That's was... That's why that all is happening in a quarry. So this right, was at yeah. the end. This was going to be... So <laughs> after the... Nazis had died when opening the Ark. Marion and Indy were going to load the Ark onto a minecart and escape at the end of Raiders. So that's where this would have fitted into Raiders, chased by apparently some surviving Nazis. Okay. Uh, so some Nazis survived. That's where it was going to be. Uh, do you want to know what the best job in the world is? Uh, it is to be a sound mixer on Temple of Doom who were required to go to Disneyland after it was closed and ride every roller coaster <gasps> to collect sound effects for this sequence. Oh my God, what a dream. <laughs> How did you feel about watching the slow, uh, the stop motion aspects of this? What were the, well, the miniature? What, stop yeah, when, the, when you're seeing plasticine versions of the characters going over fire and you do not, you do not clock them. I, I did. I, I only noticed the miniature stuff I didn't know when, it's, when, the, when yeah, yeah. the water comes, then it's obviously miniaturised. And that, it looks really bad. Yeah, yeah. But obviously it's a long time ago. But I didn't notice plasticine nah, stuff. Fair enough. Okay. That's a great joke, though. 
Water. Water. <laughs> is it? I caught so, it from. So. Again, best bit about the raid is Cliff chases when he goes under, he does the stagecoach thing under the car, but there's not a mark on him. Mm. Like, no dust is what I mean. Mm. And this, his feet would have been gone. Like, you can't stop a metal wheel with your little shoes and just be like, oh, my feet are a bit hot. <laughs> but it's fine. It's a kid's film. Uh, and then we get uh, just... <sighs> I'm going to say it and then I'm going to take it back, I'm sure, by the end of next week when we're doing the verdict. But for me, separating nostalgia, this is such an iconic end visually to an Indiana Jones movie, more so than any of the others. Or maybe it was just because I was a kid. But that rope bridge and watching Indiana Jones like basically signal to Shorty to wrap his leg around the rope and he's going to cut a bridge in two. <laughs> I just to be in that room where they come up with this and someone going, we're going to cut the bridge in two and someone will have undoubtedly gone, don't be stupid. I don't know how you do that. And mm-hmm. then going, no, no, there is a way to do it. It feels like the idea that you were like right off because it's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And then to actually follow through mm. and create it. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And it, what's amazing about that sequence as well is it's a brilliant sequence and it was shot on three different continents. It was shot in Sri Lanka, in England and in America, all the different parts to pull it together. So the alligators are from America. Are they? Yeah, the alligators are at uh, Gator World or <laughs> something. There's an, that's why they're not crocodiles because they've got in they, that was shot in Orlando. So I know that much about the alligators mm. were shot by a third unit in Orlando. Yeah, a lot of the close-ups were shot in England and obviously the 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 rope bridge was cut in Sri Lanka which is spectacular all these mechanical dummies they had one they had one shot they, they only look had one good shot because they sort of sprinkle off they yeah, look yeah. When, the, when the baddies are coming off the bridge they look brilliant and they're moving I would have yeah. thought I would just buy a dummy falling but no they wanted them to move so mm. their legs are flailing yeah. it's, it's really clever it really is uh, and you know I mean at this point Willie being Willie is the perfect response, which is, mm-hmm. oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and short round, he no nuts, he crazy. Great. This is everything I want from a climax. Uh, the rope bridge goes down, mole around, becomes a self-serving evil dick uh, <laughs> where he's uh, trying to dislodge his own henchman to throw. He's throwing people at Indiana Jones. <laughs> but if there's a downside to this, it's Indy's line where he's fighting Molaram and the stones have got hot and he says, you betrayed Shiva. Mm. I'm a bit lost as to what's going on. I don't really yeah. understand what Mo. I, I understand that he's, the, the thuggy cult is bad, but I'm not sure why he's betrayed Shiva. Well, because he's taken all the children to mm. for his evil ends. Mm. So that's not cool. Minor, minor, minors. Minor, minor. <laughs> I mean, I understand that what he's done is wrong, but I think it's just a. Str- I think it's quite a strange line. I don't think it's sort of been. I don't think enough of the not the mythology, the religious aspect of what is what is the correct way to worship Shiva yes. and what he has done differently is yes. very clear. Okay, that's fair. So that's a little bit of a problem. Uh, but aside from that, you know, we're into the final thing now. Molaram gets eaten by alligators. And yep. we're back to the village. No, before that, though, we've got the British captain showing up. Oh, yes. In charge of an Indian army. Yeah. Um, colonialism is ultimately the saviour. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And also, when they go back to the village, they're in the same clothes they were wearing when they were in the village before they get to the palace. When they get to the palace, they all get changed. Mm-hmm. So did they take their clothes out of the mine with them? No, oh, obviously they didn't. Question. They just shot it. Mm. But no one's gone... Have you been carrying around that crisp white blazer this whole time? 
Well, Willie has learnt to respect the culture of India now, though, because she bows on her return to the village. That's her arc complete. (laughs) She will definitely eat chilled monkey brains next time because she respects the culture of India. Uh, And also, it turns out she was just playing hard to get earlier. She just needed a man to whip her off her feet. I think about this all the time. Because, right, so if a stranger did that, Let's just boil it down. If a stranger did that, that's fucking terrifying. Mm. That's an actual whip. I'm being kidnapped. This is not going to end very well. Mm. Between the two of them, it's, it's is it still okay? Because they do know each other and they were kind of there. But she is walking away. Mm. So... It would fucking hurt, is the bottom line. It's <laughs> yeah. like, it looks great, but you'd be like, ah! Oh! Oh! I mean, you know this is a fact because you were whipped earlier, Wendy. So you know it hurts. Yeah. I don't know. It's a complicated set of emo- emotional responses for me to that. Um, uh, yeah. No, it's fine. It's fine. You can do that. I mean, you compare the end of this, uh, people gathering around, cheering, smiling, crowding Willy and Indy as they laugh and get sprayed with water. Yeah. Compare this ending to the ending of Raiders and you're like, this, how, this feels like ridiculously happy it, yes. it feels like the polar opposite of what we expect from an indie movie which is something that leaves you going Ooh. Yeah, I think this is Scooby Doo well. this is like everyone standing around laughing <laughs> yeah. mm. they should have picked out a character a parent who'd lost a child and made a bit more of a fuss of him or her at the beginning mm. than have them as an image to be you know you see families being reunited and it's very sweet and emotional but it's very generic it's just people we don't know lifting their kids up so if we picked on a mom or a dad <laughs> yep. and then got a particular kid it would be better to the point where I don't know if the right kids are being matched with the right parents <laughs> no, at this point I'm just like are you just grabbing whichever kid gets kid. to you first so I'll have this one <laughs> so that's it that's pretty much the end um, the reviews were not good for this movie which is kind of astonishing were you conscious of those reviews when you watched it because I wasn't and no. so now they can't touch me because it's like I don't care what people think But no if anything yeah I'm, I'm, I'm the same I'm like these reviews make no sense to me what, yeah. what was going on with people at yeah. this point in America that you suddenly took umbrage at this film is it bringing down a successful partnership like Lucas and Spielberg is, was there something else at play I, I dug around and I couldn't find like any sort of movement that was going on that suddenly suggested that we needed to protect our children from these horrible movies and by all accounts kids loved it yeah, of course. and uh, it's strange uh, Kate Capshaw says I think you said this already Chris I don't think there was a good review I found it odd that it was an adv- action adventure film and we were meant to be doing message work um about, you know, uh, she says um, uh, people were very critical of Willie Scott as if we were making a political statement and I was doing nothing for my sisters. Mm. One reviewer at the time said, uh, the ads say, this is an actual review, the ads say this film may be too intense for younger children. They are fraudulent. No parent should allow a young child to see this traumatising movie. It would be a cinematic form of child abuse. Even Harrison Ford is required to slap Quan and abuse Quapshaw. There are no heroes connected with the film, only two villains, and their names are Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. I don't remember any of this source. My parents were like, yeah, stick it on. Don't worry about it. These were American reviews primarily. I... I don't think we had it quite as bad here because they cut a shit ton out of it right. before they released yeah, it. Yeah, and, and we didn't change the rating system because of the film. Mm. There and wasn't... we don't love our children as much. Yeah. 
Oh. We want them to be scared as soon as possible. I mean, for me, Ideally. I did. I, I did feel like it was on the edge of what I could have dealt with, like mentally. <laughs> like it is, as I said, it is. The, I guess it was the first horror film I ever saw. I've and never it is... had a nightmare about t- Temple of Doom, though. No. I've had nightmares about fucking poltergeist and things yeah, like that. That is a, that. That's a horror film. Yeah, for adults. Whereas this is a frigging family film aimed at kids. So that's the difference. Yes, I see that. It's. I mean. It's Indiana Jones, so it's a kids' movie. As far as I was concerned, this was a hero of mine. This was a movie for me. And I think because you walk into that, you're just like, everything in this movie is completely acceptable for me. and it'll be fine. And anyway, the Nazis' fucking faces melting at the end of Raiders is worse than anything in this. I really, I watch this and I see a kids' movie. I don't understand why people think this is, like, people talk about this being the darker movie. Mm. Well, Spielberg certainly yeah, well, Spielberg and Lucas in 1984 come out to defend it. Um, and Spielberg says the story of that was I'd come under some criticism, personal criticism for both Temple of Doom and, you know, Gremlins in the same year. This is a much later interview. Uh, I remember calling the head of the Motion Picture Association and suggesting to him we need a rating between R and PG, either 13 or 14. And they came up with PG-13, which is where that was born out of this movie. Yeah, I said, I said that. But it, 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 the stuff he said more recently... I think he's changed his tune about it, hasn't he? In 1989, he said, I wasn't happy with Temple of Doom at all. It was too dark, too subterranean and much too horrific. I thought it outpoltered poltergeist. There's not one ounce of my own personal feeling in Temple of Doom. That was 89. Have you got something more yeah, recent? Yeah, Indy 2 will not go down in my pantheon as one of my prouder moments. I saw him say it's his least favourite of the Indiana Jones films. Mm. But conversely, it's his favourite because he said... Indiana kind of gets the girl at the end, but I really got the girl. Oh, yeah. that's nice. And so nice. for him, it's the most special film because it's how he met the love of his life. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. He says, we married years later, and that to me was the reason I was fated to make Temple of Doom. And, oh, and, he, and he, he does talk about the fact that there was a scene in the jungle where um, Willie's washing herself and a snake attacks her. Yeah. And um, the day she got to set, she lost her shit, basically, uh, Kate Capshaw, and she felt like she couldn't do it. Mm. And Spielberg just said, you know what? We're not going to do it. I'm going to cut it out. And he said that he thinks years later that's why she married him is that she was so grateful that he didn't make her do this scene that he says, I'm sure that's the reason. Uh, So despite all the fucking outpouring of anger towards it, it was a huge movie. It was the third biggest movie in the US that year after Beverly Hills Cop at number one. And what at number two? What year was it? Ghostbusters. Oh, my God. (laughs) The thing is, I always forget when Ghostbusters came out. Because I, I didn't, I was three. So I obviously didn't watch it when I was three. Oh, yeah. So to me, it came out when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ghostbusters Beverly Hills Cop. Then Temple of Doom. Right, should we do the bits? Mm. Yeah. Okay, what's your best scene, Victoria? The mine shaft chase, all of it from start to finish. I think it's brilliant. That's okay, it. Chris? Yeah, I don't love it as much now, but because of how it made me feel then, the mine shaft cart chase. Uh there's so many to choose from, but for me, it's the opening in Shanghai in Bar Obi Wan. I just remember it so vividly. I love it. Yeah, bit of tap dancing, bit of diamonds, bit of fighting, bit of gunfire, hiding behind a gong. Never seen that before. I'd never seen someone use a moving object to hide from machine gun fire as they move across the room. Yeah, why would you? It's quite specific. <laughs> no way. I think I've seen that a million times <laughs> since then. But okay. this was my first. Uh, who is your MVW, Chris? Most valuable whatever. So I'm going to go back to Unsung Heroes here. And we haven't even mentioned him today. But I am going to pick Mr. Vic Armstrong. Because by this point, he was Indiana Jones stunt double. 
He was doing an amazing job. But also, um, Harrison Ford very badly injured his back riding the elephant and he had to leave the set for a couple of weeks and production would have shut down and it, it would have been a disaster. Spielberg said the picture would have ground to a halt if Vic hadn't stepped forward. He stood in for Harrison and saved the picture from disaster. Mm. So we owe a lot of this to, to Vic Armstrong and that's why there are quite a lot of scenes where Indiana Jones has his back to camera because mm. it ain't Harrison and certainly the whole Pat Roach fight the one you talked about where he gets dashed um, in the in the mining machine um, yeah that's entirely Vic Armstrong so okay. yeah well done Vic yeah Spielberg says that he'd walked up to Vic Armstrong uh, and got to about five feet away before he realised it wasn't Harrison Ford and so he said to Vic Armstrong I'll just shoot you from five feet away <laughs> That was uh, that was his way of looking at it. Yeah, I think he said one of Harrison Ford's kids ran up to him and grabbed his hand, thinking that was, that was his dad. Whoa, that's mad. Harrison Ford uh, gave him a signed photograph of the two of them, or signed a photograph of the two of them after, I think it was this movie or the next movie. And he said, if you learn to talk, I'm in real trouble. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that's yours. What's yours, Victoria? Your most valuable whatever? Well, I was going to give it to Steven Spielberg because when I think of like, when you think of the Steven Spielberg film of your dreams, when I think of that, it's this because of the way that Indiana Jones is shot, lit, framed, especially when he's in the hut when um, Willie is rude about the food. Like mm. just, it just, it just looks pure Spielberg. It looks like my childhood mm. there. And also I think a lot of kudos to him for, Taking, you know, this to some people, this sequel is better than the original. And what he's done is taking what worked, did it again, but tried something new. So the love interest is a very different type of woman, and he's got a sidekick. And I do admire, you know, like we are going to honor what worked, but we're also not afraid to try something new. But I think I'm going to give it to Kate Capshaw because if I'd have watched this as a grown up, I'd be like, I would get, I would be like, that shrill is irritating, all the rest of it. But as a child, I thought she was so funny, and I can't watch it and not find her charming and funny and a lens on that world that you kind of need. Like with Mar- the Marion's amazing, but she's sort of as prepared for that world as Indiana Jones is. Whereas Willie is more like us, where you'd be like, fuck me. Look at this place. Mm. It's horrendous. Yeah. No, I'm not putting my hand in there, obviously. Yeah, which again, to go back to these reviews and the hard time she was given, is kind of preposterous now because when you look, I mean, not now, but then I watched it and I'm with you totally. She was like, you know, I loved it then. Now, not so much. Yeah. Uh, well, my MVW, because I've worked this out because you have to give it to him for one movie. Yes. And I know mm. it's not going to be any of the others. <laughs> so mine is Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. This yeah. is the movie that really introduced me to the character more than Raiders. And mm. so if he's going to have one movie where he's the MVW, it's this one for me. Okay. Because it ain't the others. Well, finally change Victoria it's a back to Willie again I don't think she does get a moment where she's toughened up and she gets to she gets to throw off the type of woman she was at the start like it's very basic but it is a kids film so she it's a little thing you know, she's terrified of bugs by the end there's you know an obstacle in front of her she has to cross a whatever of bugs to save the day and she does it and she doesn't even think about it because the moment she has with the elephant where she thinks it's the elephant around her neck and it's a snake mm. she doesn't know she's doing it so it doesn't count if she saved Indy at one point, yeah. that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris? Okay. Doing a bit of typing. So, yeah, because I'm thinking about what I'm going to say here. So thinking about this white saviour issue, and I don't think this would fix it, but I think it would help. And unfortunately, I'm going to get rid of short round here okay. and have, um, if Indy's got to have a kid sidekick, have it be an Indian kid who goes on this adventure with him, maybe from that village, and have the kid uh, help out at the end in terms of saving the day. I think that would help some of that questionable narrative. Mm. Um, and I think it's an easy fix. It's interesting. 
Uh, mine would be uh, a simple thing where uh, there's a part that, of me that even as a kid was like, short round couldn't do that. There's a bit where there's about six Indian guards and he manages to accidentally or somehow knock them all down in a row. And I'm like, you've crossed <laughs> the line there. These people need to be a threat to me. And the fact that short rounds just knocked out six of them, yeah. it's like, I don't need short round to do that. Him having a really intense fight with the Maharaja, great but not wiping out bad guys en masse. So mm -hmm. there's a bit too much slapstick in the fights, which ruins them. No verdict. I know. Feels weird. Can I mention a connection that I saw between the two of them because it made me laugh? There's loads of connections. But can I just mention one because it made me laugh? All right. A fruit plate for the ladies. <laughs> because when Marion is with Belloc in the tent, yep. he, he brings her a plate of fruit. <laughs> when Willie hasn't eaten, she gets given a plate of fruit. So all women eating these films is fruit. And it just made me laugh, that's all. So. Um. All right. All right. Uh, well, that's us done then. Are you excited about next week, Last Crusade? Yeah, really excited. Okay. How was that? Was everyone you happy? It was fun, wasn't it? Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do we have a do we have a winner out of those two? Do you think one of those could possibly win? Oh, potentially. Yes, potentially. Well, obviously, potentially. I mean, yeah, they could, it could. I reckon it's got. They've. I. They've both got a one in four chance. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> right then, we will leave you now. We are doing on Monday Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. On Thursday next week, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Until then, if you haven't already subscribed to us, please do on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. Back on Monday, talking the Last Crusade. Bye bye. This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creative Network.